Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs chapter 26, verse 1. As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. So our text is continuing on in the the portrait of a fool. And we learn here that a key element of wisdom is propriety. Notice that the acting verb in the proverb is to be fitting. Honor is not fitting for a fool. So things that are unsuitable are unwise. Summer is for heat and growth and working outdoors. And snow in summer is inappropriate. Rain in harvest is actually damaging. It hinders the bringing in of the crops, and it can destroy the grain. Now fools, or stupid men, rebellious men, are unsuitable for respect or power because they abuse it. They don't use it well. The purpose for which authority is granted is for the service of those who are governed. But in their rebellion, fools serve themselves and their own whims instead of others. When given authority, they waste time and money and resources, and they lead others astray. This does great damage to society and culture. And we can see these things being played out. Look at any number of politicians, actors and actresses, sports stars or famous musicians who make it big. They receive honor. They get all kinds of money and stuff. And then their lives fall apart. Drugs, alcohol, corruption, cheating, broken families, bankruptcy, and the list goes on. These people should be heroes and icons. But their folly makes their honor not fitting. Rather, they contribute to the moral decay of our culture. For application, the first thing this teaches us is that we should not be a part of the problem. Don't be a fool. That's pretty simple. If you hold a position of authority or respect, yield it with wisdom and charity. Serve others. Don't make your honor unsuitable. Next, don't give honor to fools. We should be wise in who we look up to and who our heroes are. Don't buy into our secular culture's lies and deceptions about what wisdom is or who is worth imitating. Instead, take inventory and line your desires up with biblical truth, with biblical principles. And then teach your kids to discern what folly is and to see when the emperor isn't wearing his clothes. The last thing we should glean from this is that we should give honor when it is due and where it is due and where it is appropriate and where it is fitting. And the first thing we need to do here is to look to Jesus. Our Lord sets the standard for true authority, which is why God gave him the keys to heaven and earth. He shows us what true authority is, what true power is, and he leads us in self-sacrificial love. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel. 
chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And you will notice that we have some overlap from last week, because we covered verse 12 last week also. Um, and, th- and the reason for that is because verse 12 serves as a transitional verse between the issue of enduring trials, the first 12 verses of James, or verses 2 through 12, and the issue of the text that we're, we're, we're studying today in which the main problem that James is dealing with is temptation. That's the primary focus of today's text is, is uh, once we were told you must endure trials, count it all joy as you endure, endure various trials, and we're told about how this is a life and death sort of matter. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a wisdom issue that takes the, the, the long view, the mile high view where we look to God, we look to Jesus, and we look through the ephemeral, ephemeral world that we live in, the, the vanity, the mist, in order to endure those trials knowing that God is working for our benefit. God, then James tells us, okay, now you're going to have to struggle with temptation and sin. This is part of your life in this world. And just in order to get us back in the flow of thought here, since this verse is the transitional verse, I'm going to do a brief overview. James told us to embrace testing and trials because God is working in them to make us perfect, to make us as complete and whole, make us better, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And the, the mechanism that does that, the way that comes to pass is through patience. Trials work patience in us, and then patience makes us perfect. This requires wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all freely. And God freely gives wisdom to those who ask without doubt. And this wisdom is available to all men, no matter in their, their station in life. That's the, the, the verse, verses where he's talking about the poor and the rich. No matter who you are, no matter where you are at in the social strata, you have your own trials. And God has wisdom for you there. And he has a a path towards completion, a path towards perfection, a, a path towards holiness for you to take. And you need wisdom to engage in that path. So that wisdom is available to all men, no matter their station, whether poor or rich. And then God enables all men to endure their own trials and rewards those who faithfully endure with the crown of life. And that's where we finished in verse 12 last week. And we're starting there this week. So verse 12 is a beatitude. Blessed is the name, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So again, big picture here. Endure through life so that you can have eternal reward. So this this, this verse teaches us that trials generate life. Now the word translated temptation in in this version, this is the New King James Version, is translated trials in other versions. Um, The word is, is, the Greek word is pyrosmos, and and in this verse, it's the very same word that's translated as trials in verse 2. 
So, uh, and it would be better translated as trials in verse 12. So, blessed is the man who endures trials for when he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And it's better translated as trials because it's a good thing to endure trials. And we're just about to be uh, to see that there's a comparison coming up um, uh, between trials and temptations in James. James is using this word pyrosmos or the Greek or the Greek verb pyrozomai. Or he's using the Greek verb or the Greek noun, which is the same word that, that means both testing and tempting as a verb, or both trials and temptation as a noun. But he's, the New, New King James translates it as temptation here, just so that in the English you get that there's a connection between what he's saying in verse 12 with what comes next in, in verses uh, 13, 14, and 15. So there's, there's also a connection. I mentioned the trials connection with verse 2. There's also a connection with the word patience in verse 2 and the word endures here. Endures is, is the verb form of patience. So enduring trials is, is, is patient, patient endurance. And that is blessed with the crown of life. And, and so you can see now how we, we've got that inclusio, the tying off of the first section of the book. Now, I, I also mentioned just a bit ago about how this crown of life is, 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 you can call it the long view or the eternal perspective. And that's the basis for wisdom. The basis on which we can face trials and temptations with joy is because we look at life as we're passing through. And God is eternal, God is static, and we can look to him and trust him as we go through these difficult, difficult things. We have received a glimpse of eternity in the gospel. In Jesus Christ, God shows us who he is and that we can trust him. So we can rejoice at being counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. That's, that's the kind of language that Peter uses and that, that James and John use. It, you're, it's, it's an honor. Remember the exhortation. It's an honor to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But I want to emphasize um, the focus of the verse here, that this is on life. James says that trials are rewarded with a crown of life, which Jesus promised to those who love him. And I want to focus on that, that focus of this verse, because it ties it to the next verses that are coming. The, uh, the reason I want to talk about it is because the, there's a contrast between the trials that equate uh, the trials leading to life with temptations which lead to death if if they're permitted to come to maturity and fruition. Um, and so that's what he's going to be telling us in verses 13, 14, and 15. I'm just going to read those real quick. Um, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So James is saying, here you have trials, 
and they bring life, and, and then he's going right into now temptations are the precursors to death, and we're going to get into those in more detail. But in order for us to understand this, in order to understand this contrast between life and death, in order for us to get this, we have to understand sin. That's why, that's why when, when the gospel goes forward, it always goes forward with a declaration of the law of God. A definition of what sin is. Um, because life is not simply a walk through the park. It's not all butterflies and roses. You know, we can't, you can put your rose-colored glasses on. But real life in the real world is not just simple and easy and just passing through without trials or without sin. All of us have to deal with sin in this world. We are engaged in a battle between life and death. There's an antithesis for our salvation. So sin is a part of this life, and this is something that is a struggle for believers. This is a struggle for communities of Christians. Because sin is frustrating. Sin is, uh, it's, it, it, it causes anger, it causes hurt, it causes pain. And when we see it in our own midst, in our own hearts, in our own lives, when we feel it being committed against us, or when we commit it against others, it destroys community. And there are pharisaical communities who block that out. They say, that's not part of us. And they, they'll lie about who they are without admitting the fact that sin is there and it needs to be dealt with in their lives. So all of their handling of sin is, is, is kid-gloved. It's, it's not direct. It's not pointing it out. It's not clear. And nobody can, can, can grasp onto it. But James knows that we need to know how sin works. We need our eyes opened to it. Because we like to camp out on the promises of the gospel or the Proverbs and little wisdom snippets. We like to reiterate the simple truths of the gospel. But wisdom means engaging the challenging things, the hard things, thinking through this. And if nothing else, James is a practical book. So he gets into the nitty-gritty of how sin works so that we can be clear-headed, so that we can see clearly, so that we can have clarity and victory over our enemy of sin and death. James wants us to see this for what it is. So let's talk about the mechanics of temptation and sin. That's, that's what these three verses, verses 13 through 15, are talking about. This is how sin works. And James starts by assuring us that God does not tempt us. God's character is flawless. God is not the, not the sinner. He doesn't force us to sin. That's not who he is. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by he himself tempt anyone. 
Now, first, a couple translation comments. This word tempted here is the verb form of pirazmos, pirazomen, and it means to tempt or to test. And the context of the verse determines what the meaning is, because tempt and test mean different things. And how we translate this has important theological ramifications. It matters which word we choose here. The distinction between testing and tempting, or trial and temptation, is very important. It would be false to say that God does not test his people. Which, if you translated that word, it says, nor does he himself test anyone. That would be a lie. And we know that's a lie, because God says explicitly in the law, God tested Abraham. And told Abraham, go sacrifice your son. In the Greek Septuagint, that's that's the pirazmos verb. That's the word. God tested Abraham. God does test his people. So that means, this cannot mean test, test. Job assures us that, that surely God gives and surely he takes away. All things that happen are in God's control. So since this cannot mean testing, it must mean temptation. And we know this is different from verses 2 and 12 because in those verses, temptation is a positive good, if you translate it that way. Trials, testing, are a positive good. Trials are a refiner's fire. They result in beatitude, in a crown of life. So James says, no, this is testing, and it's connected to trials. We can confuse it. I'm going to get, get there in a second. But first I want to point out that James has the wisdom to identify our propensity to shift blame. James says, um, he's commanding us, don't even go there. He knows our hearts. He knows how quick we are to say, it's God's fault. Because if God is sovereign the way that Job tells us that God is sovereign, and we're suffering temptation, that's obviously from God, then if we fall, it's God's fault. It's only natural for us to blame God. Since he's God and he is in control, it's natural for us to blame him for our failures. He ordains everything that happens. That's what Adam did. When Eve took from the, took the, the fruit and ate from it and gave to Adam, and God confronted Adam, Adam says to God, the woman that you gave to me gave me the fruit, and I ate. It's your fault, God. You gave her to me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate. It's not my fault. And James shuts this down. He says... He says, no, God is without temptation, but from evil. And that's what the literal translation of the Greek there is. God is without temptation by evil, nor does he tempt anyone himself. 
God does not do that. You cannot make an excuse by pointing at God for your sin. And it's a definitive answer. You, there's, no, there's no rebuttal to what James is saying here. If, he says God is not a tempter. But he understands also that if he's going to shut down our first instincts, he has to give us an answer to, well, what is temptation then? So if God is not the tempter, how does temptation work? And James tells us. Here we come to the definition of temptation, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Temptations come from our own fleshly desires. Our own sinful lusts that exist in our hearts. This is the definitional, definitional distinction between trials and temptations. Trials are outward evil pressure. They're, they're uncomfortable, they're suffering, they're painful. Trials are outward evil pressure. They're outside of us, and they are tests of us. They're testing our faith. They're testing our metal. They're, they're purifying us. They're sanctifying us. They're knocking the sharp edges off. That's what trials are. They're outward evil pressure. Temptations, on the other hand, arise from within. They're coming out of us. They are our sinful flesh rebelling against God and drawing us away and luring us into sin. Temptations are outside, trials are within. And then James gives us a diagram of death's family tree. Verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin... And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So this is the drastic comparison between trials and temptations. James does this using a very pregnant metaphor, if you'll excuse my pun. Gives birth, brings forth He's using a metaphor of birth. These things are directly connected. They come out of each other. Temptations feed on lust. And our lust then gives birth to sin. And when that sin matures, it bears fruit, gives birth again to death. That's where sins, that's the fruit of sin. And it recalls for us a comparison with verses 3 and 4, where we learn that the testing that we receive from God, that we're supposed to count it all joy, produces patience, which causes us to become perfect and complete, lacking nothing, which ultimately leads to the crown of life promised in verse 12. So here you have two different roots ending in two different fruits. Temptation leading to death and trials leading to life. This is all confusing though because sin is deceptive. And the very fact that the same word, parosmos, whether testing 
or temptation becomes the foundation of, all, of life or death. It's the same word. Yet, what do you do with it? How do you translate it? What does it mean? Sin is confusing. It's, sin is deceptive. But James has given us a vital clue to decipher and discern how sin works. He told us that testing is from God, and with wisdom it leads to life. And temptation, while it appears to be testing, while it brings on blame, shifting, temptation is actually a trick of our deceitful hearts trying to lure us away from that path to life. That patient endurance, that humble submission to the will of God. James recognizes that this is a, there's a high, high propensity for us to fall into deception here. He recognizes the danger of deception. So he tells us, don't be fooled. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brother. And here's the key. Don't be deceived, because God is good. That's how you're not deceived. It's faith in the good God who is revealed in the gospel. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It says, don't be deceived, believe the truth. Don't be deceived, have faith in, God, in the gospel. He gives us a creed and a truism, a proverb, an aphorism, a New Testament wisdom literature. James is making a declaration of truth, and the truth is, is that we can bank on this truth. James has received this from Jesus. He gives it to you and to me. Jesus came to reveal who God is. Don't be deceived because God is good. What leads to deception? Well, when you start accusing God of being bad. When you set yourself up as God's judge, you're being an absolute fool. This is so far from suspecting that God tempts us. What this is is the opposite. It's a confession and knowledge that God gives all good things. A declaration that He is God. The world is full of His gifts. He's the Father of lights, bringing revelation and truth and causing us to see and understand and to receive wisdom and understanding and knowledge. This lack of variation and shadow of turning is a sharp contradiction from the doubting man back in verse six, verses 6 through 8. He's like a wave of the sea, tossed back and forth, driven and tossed, double-minded and unstable in all his ways. That's the fool. That's the doubting man. That's the man who doesn't believe that God is good, who doesn't ask God for wisdom, or if he does, he asks with doubt. Our God is sure. Our God is faithful. Our God is good. Moreover, if our lusts bear this fruit of death, God counteracts them and brings
brings forth life in us. That's the gospel. Isn't it? Because all of us, on our own steam, are good at the blaming God thing. We're good at shifting blame. We're good at giving in to our lusts and our, our, our sinful hearts' yearnings. Uh, John calls it in 1 John, uh, the, 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 the love of money, the love of the world, and the pride of life. It's that, that lust, that, that desire for those things that drives our wicked hearts to rebel against God, who gives good things, who gives life, who, who deserves our worship and our praise. Of his own will he brought us forth, verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God has given us his word of truth. We are born again. We are made new. Again, back to that, that pregnancy metaphor. God is working in us and making us a new thing. He's causing us to grow up into completion and maturity. We have the revelation here of the mechanisms of sin and temptation. What we read about in, in our gospel, in our New Testament. We, we have the revelation of the mysteries of God. He tells us how this works. And thus we are set free from our bondage to our lusts. And we are now a new creation. And we are good news for the world. We are the first fruits of the new creation. We are uh, the harbingers of an entirely new thing that God is working in the earth. Now from here, James is going to go on to give us uh, some marching orders. And we're going to get into that next week. He gives us several commands because this is all true. But for today, I want to make a couple of points of application. The first one is this. Major on the majors. Get the big picture in your head and stay focused on it. One thing that has become abundantly clear to me over the last few weeks, and I hope to you, is that James is extremely interested in laying the foundation of wisdom on life and death, the big questions of life, on God's revelation of his gospel in Jesus Christ. We cannot permit our trials or our hearts to push us or pull us away from his work in the world and in our lives. Major on the majors. We have to take the long view. Embrace God and the rest will come in its own time. Trust him. Endure patiently. Second, embrace the goodness of God. Commit verse 13 to memory. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Memorize that. Embrace the goodness of God. Memorize verses 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He is good and he's working good in the world and in us. 
The third exhortation is, and this is connected to both of the previous ones, of major on the majors and embrace the goodness of God. The third was, don't be deceived. Don't fall into sin. Don't be deceived by your trials or your temptations. Our flesh so slyly tries to, to trick us. It coaxes our egos. It encourages us to pass the blame. It lures and it entices. It, it fans our pride. And it accuses our neighbors. It tempts us. It truly does. We, we are fallen. We are sinners. We have that capacity. Don't be surprised by that. Confess it and turn from it. Don't be surprised. Be vigilant. Be on your guard. And don't be deceived by it. And finally, be the first fruits that God brought you forth to be. Be that seed that God has planted in the world. He's planted his word in us. And that word, if we allow it to mature and bear fruit, will make us fruitful indeed. You are Christ's. He is yours. Embrace him, bear witness of him, and serve him throughout your life, throughout your day, throughout your week. Love God and love your neighbor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he offers that to us every week in this meal. There is no duplicity here, no variation, no shadow of turning. God graciously pours himself out for us. He gives us forgiveness of sins. He gives us hope. He gives us joy. He gives us life by his Holy Spirit. And he does this so that we might be a part of his new creation for our blessing and for our encouragement. So take, eat your bread and drink your wine and believe the glorious good news of our extremely good God. This table is for all baptized Christians under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. When you eat this bread and drink this wine, you acknowledge that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God and that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Christ's body broken for us. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.